This is Talking Dirty, Get Gardening's podcast for plant lovers. The video version is available on our Get Gardening YouTube channel, so you can head over there if you want to see our ugly mugs, and there are pictures of the plants there as well. There are full plant lists on our Twitter and Instagram at Get Gardening Now, so go check those out. But without further ado, let's start Talking Dirty. Welcome to episode 83 of Talking Dirty. Over at East Ruston Old Vicarage, looking particularly suave today, we have Alan Edward Herbert Gray, our happy and very handsome horticulturalist. Well, after days and days of sunshine, we have got a little bit of cloud cover here. What's the weather like in Cambridgeshire, where we will be joining Lord <laughs> Sophia Maria? I've said it the wrong way around, but never mind, you know who you are. Fredrickson, looking stunningly smiley as ever. In check. It is a dull day, um, but that's fine. It's fine. I'm sure the sun will return. We've all got loads of watering to do. It's, uh, <laughs> I don't know when it's ever going to rain again, but one day, that's I'm thing. sure. That's the thing. The wicked combination at this time of the year is sun and wind. And we have <sighs> it. We've had it several years running in now where we get this instead of April showers, which you used to get when I was a kid. Now we get April drought. Yes. Yeah. So, well, you know, shout out to all the people watering their plants, uh, which I'm sure includes our guest, Tom Atwood. We are delighted. Sadly, not in the greenhouse. We tried this in the greenhouse. It hasn't worked, but that's fine. Tom Atwood of Abby and Tom's Garden Plants. Welcome to Talking Dirty. Well, thanks for asking me. Do you have any middle names? Me? Oh, George. Oh, solid name. (laughs) (laughs) Did any of them come from anywhere? You know, grandparents or... Uh, um, um, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I needed a better answer to that, didn't I? You need to go and do some family research. Yeah, yeah. No, I don't think so. (laughs) Well, we'll focus on something that you definitely can answer. Um, I mean, people will be aware of you. I mean, we see your face in Gardens Illustrated and the like. Obviously, you write articles, you kind of lead tours and things, and you have your wonderful nursery and, and plant centre. What's your kind of backstory? When did your love of horticulture begin? Um, well, it's, it sort of started, I think, well, I kind of know exactly when it started. It when I was in my sort of early teens, and um, we lived abroad a lot as kids because my dad used to be in the foreign office. So we'd often spend 18 months in one country, move on to another, et cetera, et cetera. And it was only about the age of when we were about 12, we sort of settled down somewhere, which was at the time was in uh, North Cumbria. And my parents had bought a, a pretty much a new house that had a, an acre field on the side of it. And it had never been touched. It had been grazed by sheep, but little else. And my parents, my mum particularly was really keen to try and do and create some sort of garden space. Wasn't quite sure what to do. Um, and my dad was still abroad a lot, quite uh, a lot of the time. And I was really, I suppose it started off as just lending a hand, getting stuck in. And um, I just got a real bug for it. I, I just loved, and still is the case, it's, it's being outside. I just adore being outside. And at the same time, about 12, 13, you also want a bit of money in your pocket. So the local nursery that my mum would frequent on a weekly basis, spending all our child, all her child allowance uh, <laughs> money went on plants. Um, this is why we had no clothes. And, uh, and uh, we were at the nursery one day and, uh, and uh, I just said, oh, would you ask them, you know, ask them if I've got any in a holiday work? And um, they said, yeah, okay, come do, try do two, two days a week. And this was a really old school 
market garden that had evolved into a into somewhere that grew perennials in about the 80s uh, everyone who worked there smoked a pipe um uh, all the compost was mixed in wooden barrows and there was this constant gray fog in the potting shed from all the tobacco smoke so god knows what it's done to me um but but fundamentally it was you know it was it was it was the simple act of of just producing the plants on a, on a very sort of um, certainly not industrialized process. It was quite small batches of things. Um, and it was certainly of its time. They grew a lot of plants that we don't grow now, like lots of small conifers and shrubs, etc. Um, but I was just working alongside one of the one of the brothers there who'd been there all his working life. And he just turned to me one day and he said, have you ever thought about this as a job, as a career? And um, I was probably about 15 at the time. And it kind of, you know, got got you think, thinking well okay maybe this is something I'd like I'd be interested in and and really sort of from that point on I continued um to help my my mum particularly sort of develop the garden which wasn't easy because it was really thick heavy clay and pretty bleak spot um but as I sort of pro pro progressed through school I got into conservation or being outside planting trees and you know you have to start making some decisions when you're 16 17 what am I going to do with my life kind of thing and um, I started, I, I, I think one of the key points is I went to did some work experience for a week at Thrive Gardens in Castle Douglas, which is part of the National Trust for Scotland. And uh, they've got a, a school there where they have a few students um, who go and spend a whole, a whole year there working in the gardens. And I tagged along with them, met the head gardener who... It was quite, I was quite intimidated because I was only 16, 17 and everyone really knew their stuff and I was successfully doing things not perhaps the correct way but they could see that I was enthusiastic and to cut a long story short from that point I then they said well go and speak to the Botanic Gardens if you're interested in studying further so I went to Edinburgh I was very excited to go up there and um, they offered me a place after school to do a two-year course and at the same time I was also heard about Q and I went down and Q even more excited <laughs> um, <laughs> and essentially the, the Q said yeah we'll offer you a place when you're 20 but you need to have two years of study under your belt and that was where Edinburgh came in so I did two years there and then that got me to, to, to Q but it was it was it was brilliant and um uh, my 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 fellow peers who I went to school with completely perplexed didn't have a clue what I was doing and still don't frankly um, <laughs> and yeah so I've, I feel you know I've, I feel fortunate that I've, I've at least had the chance to you know get in quite early with what I wanted to do yeah and what I mean, a great pedigree as well what an amazing string of, of places you know Botan Edinburgh Botanic Garden and Kew and I know you've held head gardener positions you know yeah. since then yeah. before you yeah. ended up with your your plant yeah. center yeah i think but quite humble beginnings it was like the basic stuff that really got me hooked and and um uh i mean the botanic gardens are fantastic they're, they're the most amazing place to sort of you know immerse yourself with with plants of every ilk but actually you know they're not necessarily the best places to go and learn how to be a gardener because um, everywhere has its pros and cons and I think it was that fundamental it was the gardening that really grabbed me um, and everything else was just helped create layers of interest I suppose but yeah 
this acre your your mum was turning into a garden did you get any particular bit of it or were you just a team on the whole acre uh, no, well, we we had our own designated space, which ironically was a, a, a miniature conifer garden. And um, I I uh, I'm not a fan of miniature conifers today. <laughs> Maybe I've just turned into a complete snob. But uh, <laughs> but no, it was great because we had our you know we had our dedicated space, and uh, which included sort of um, uh, interesting concrete animals, you know, dotted dotted throughout it. Um, uh, I think the, taste, the taste council would be rolling in their grave right now, but um, Guns but we, Illustrated would not be featuring that. <laughs> I'd love it if they did. <laughs> um, I think it's admirable because we've all got to start somewhere. I mean, I, I suppose I started with a, a boyish collection of cacti. Mm. Um, and then I went, um, I think this is probably partly due to my grandmother, who loves zonal pelagoniums, which she called geraniums. So then went on to a collection of those. And we used to go, when we used to go on holiday to the coast of Norfolk, we used to drive past um, a row of bungalows, I suppose they were, and there's geraniums for sale was outside. And I made father stop the car. And I used to go in and buy a geranium for one and sixpence. I mean... <laughs> Seven and a half p, if you want to know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, to add to the collection, so you know, and as you say, you do things in the not in the best possible taste, I suppose. <laughs> but it's all part of formulating who you are, isn't it? Yeah, definitely, definitely. And, and I think if you, it's those key people. I think certainly I've experienced who I've met who have, you know, if they've just encouraged you or spurred you on or inspired you, or you thought we looked at them and thought. I really like what I love your job, you know. I'd love to have half of that, you know, somehow. And mm. um, but I, th I think I think you know, and we all know this in 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 the world we exist in. That the gardening world is just full of so many kind and generous people. There's some very yeah. eccentric, slightly unusual people as well. But 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 um, on the whole, people really want to help you. I think if if and and share you know share the knowledge share knowledge share plants if you know or whatever and and that I think that for both of us is part of the appeal you know you're just surrounded by just really kind mm. generous people yeah you, know? you, you, you get called up sometimes Tom by somebody who says I've got a whole bed of horses here I'm fed up with them I'm going to dump them all you come and dig them up you can have them <laughs> but once a week <laughs> um uh, and and I always say, do you, you know, and, quite, and what kills that conversation is that I don't know what any of them are. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> kind of running a nursery is a bit tricky, you know. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, when a, a few years ago, I, I, I did some part-time lecturing um, to some students up at um, Penrith. Sadly, no longer, uh, there was a horticultural college there that regressively has just closed down. Um, but one of the students I taught, a really lovely guy, John, who was, um, I'd say, you know, the more eccentric end of the spectrum. And he lived in a very, really quite a small house. And his obsession was rhododendrons and propagating them. He would just do it, you know, relentlessly with no sort of no worry about where they were going to go or what he's going to do with them. And uh, he, ca he called me a few years ago to say, Tom, I've got a bit of a problem. Um, I, I need to move house and <laughs> the garden's even smaller. <laughs> Uh, where we're going to and I've got this you know enormous well pretty sizable collection of rhododendrons and I didn't have the heart to say because you know where else was he going to take them and I didn't have the heart to say I'm sorry John I can't do it so 
I sort of took on board this collection of amazing road engines, but I don't know what any of them are because he, <laughs> there were no names of anything. Um, he had loads of labels in them, but they were so faded and washed away. So um, I've kind of got them dotted around the place and they look glorious when they do what they do. And I'm, I'm, I'm no expert on roadies, um, but uh, um, it, it's quite interesting though, for, to just to even open people's eyes to the, the variation and you know, some of the lovely larger leaves um, species and cultivars mm. and um, people say, what's that? And you, you tell them it's a rhododendron and they don't believe you at first. You know? <laughs> um, so uh, I, I do sometimes say yes, and um you know but uh um, well, it's funny isn't it from from you know talking about miniature conifers to zonal pelagoniums to uh, all of your rhododendrons we've managed to sort of hit upon time and time again some some plants that are not necessarily the most appreciated yeah, of, yeah. The, of the plant groups yeah yeah, yeah. I, I mean i'm um uh it's quite i mean in the in the lake district you drive around uh, you know the larger gardens and you know sort of there's a sort of a 50 50 chance that what you look at in flower is probably going to be a rhododendron or um or an azalea or something and then the the plant next to it is likely to be an enormous japanese maple because they love you know they just love the climate here and a lot of people initially they'll sort of poo poo the idea of rhododendrons um because i think they don't perhaps they're not exposed to the amazing variety that is out there. And it's that, it's that age old frustration I have. You go to like the, the larger um, garden centers and you just see the same old, same old, same old. And, and yeah, they're all dumpy. They're all dumpy dollops with dull foliage and they've, and, and there's yeah. wonderful flower for about two or three weeks a year. Yeah. But they have, they don't, what they don't see is what you see where you are in Cumbria. Mm. And that is the most wonderful cinnamon colored trunks and the, the lovely yeah. old shapes that these, these, yeah. these rhododendrons make. I mean, they're not all squat little bushes. Yeah. I think the Yakushima hybrids that were bred mm. for small gardens are largely to thank for that. Yeah. Because, I mean, they're completely characterless as plants. Uh, this is something that's happened to me more and more as so I've got older and older. And that is, I mean, take regal pelagoniums this time, not zonals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you take regal pelagoniums, they are shrubby plants. And if you see them in South Africa, they are, they've got these gnarled old trunky sort of stems and things. And I like to grow some of mine. I've got some in the orange that are like that, in actual fact, one that's called um, Babylon. I mean, yeah. it's a bit like a rhododendron. It's flamboyant in flower all at the top. There's this wonderful old crooked stems below, which I think lend character. Yeah. Well, your current nursery, we can see little bits and bobs over the shoulder, and we yeah. can hear the bird song. It's absolutely yeah, it's glorious. Yeah. Um, you might that's, have the best. It's pre-recorded. It's. Um... <laughs> <laughs> you might have the best soundscape to any guest in 83 episodes of Talking Dirty. Um, but what was the sort of the pivotal moment that helped you set up or kind of led you to set up Abby and Tom's Garden um, Well, I'd say it's quite a nice story, actually. I met Abby 20 years ago. And when, and when I did the initial Meet the Parents weekend, I came up here because at the time I wasn't living, living around here. And uh, Abby's dad said, I know, let's take Tom to Hailcat. It's this slightly unusual um, falling apart nursery. You can go and have a look at it. And, uh, and we did, you know, we came here. And as I say, that was 20 years ago. And it was in a pretty sorry state then. Um, and, uh, but nonetheless, you know, you sort of semi-clock these places. I, I, I'm, I'm forever fascinated by, I've, I've got this real thing about old world gardens particularly dilapidated walled gardens, because all you can see is the potential 
quite often. And it was the same here at Hellcat, really. Um, fast forward six or seven years, and, and in the meantime, um, Abby and I had always sort of, we'd had an annual trip here during the summer just to see what was happening. And progressively, it got worse and worse and worse. The plant collection was disappearing beneath birch trees and you know just there was, it was it was a real it was it was just a quite a weird situation because we didn't know what was happening with it um going fast forward a little bit further on and i i was working in another garden with uh, a contractor who lived in the village here and we were talking over lunchtime and he said oh you know you you'll know hailcat well my friend matthew um he's been renting it for the last couple of years he's moving on um, and I said, oh, really? That's interesting. And you sort of, again, you sort of um, pon you know, keep quiet about that and you think it over. And um, my parents-in-law have a, a lovely garden themselves, which is not too far away from here. And they have a small nursery where they, their, their thing is auriculas and, and primulas uh, and other woodlandy plants. And because they have a nursery, um, they were sent a complimentary copy of Horticulture Week, which for those of you... You, don't, you know, watching this, not aware of this magazine, it's a fairly dry publication, <laughs> but it's a good place where you'd look for jobs and industry news, etc. And also they, they talk about properties which are for rent businesses. Anyway, my father-in-law spotted a very small box in there that said Hailcat Nursery, uh, lease available with a phone number. He phoned us up and we'd only been here a few months before and had driven away saying, what, you know, it's, it's so far gone now. You don't know what to do. You don't know where you'd start. You kind of, you know, you'd be an idiot to take it on kind of thing. And then he told us this and we leapt to the phone. <laughs> um, and then from that point, we had to come and make our case of what we wanted to do with the site because it was in such a state, the people who own the estate really viewed it as a problem. And I think if... If, uh, if there hadn't been some sort of big idea about what to do with it, they probably would have bulldozed it or something or just, you know, put it to one side, left it fallow. Um, and we said, we really, really want to do this, um, but we need to shut it down for two years to start from scratch because there was, you know, there was nothing here. Um, there was, the infrastructure was gone. There was no plant collection. We needed, you know, we needed ways to grow the plants. Nick, our landlord, said, well, that's an interesting idea, not what I was quite expecting, because there was someone else who was proposing that they were going to take it on straight away. So actually, we drove away from the meeting feeling quite flat, because we thought, well, actually, if we're going to do this, we need to try and do it properly. Um, anyway, kept us waiting for a week and then just sent us a, a little one-line email saying, okay, let's go for it. And um, so that was our voyage into the unknown. At that stage, you know, we, we didn't have children. We had a lot of time on our hands, so we could spend every weekend up here in the first year just knocking it apart, really, um, and trying to, to um, get our heads around how it would work. Um, we made loads of mistakes, lots and lots of mistakes, hugely naive about a lot of what we were doing. Um, but, but fundamentally, the, the main aim of everything was to, was to, was to grow plants and and to grow good plants that would that would thrive up here um and that was it really so we 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 set off with no business plan <laughs> um, we had very very limited resources to do it 
um, which were completely exhausted by the time we, we, we crawled over the finish line to say, right, we're open. Um, and that was in 2011. Um, the first few years were um, pretty slow. There's a lot to build up. You know, if you take an exhausted site, an exhausted business, um, you've, you've got to you've got to really persuade people to come back to you. Um, I think I think Tom, that probably takes about five years by word of mouth. You're you're spot on. <laughs> That's yeah. exactly what yeah. someone said. No, it's so true. Yeah, because. Um, it's amazing you said that because um, the very first weekend we opened, um, uh, it was brilliant. Everyone in the village came and they were so supportive. It was like a little, fe- you know, it felt like a little festival. Then the reality of Monday kicked in and we had like three, <laughs> three cars drove up throughout the whole day. But one of them, um, this guy got out and he, uh, he was walking around and he took me to one side and he said, um, I've been in business all my life. And he said, um, I didn't know what he did. But he said, I'm really admiring what you're both doing. And he, and he said, I've got two bits of advice for you. He said, the first thing was exactly what you just said, Alan. He said, mm. give it five years. If you can just stick at it for five years, you'll notice, you know, a bit of a step change. And he was so right. And the second thing he said was, um, because we're very much a seasonal business here, he said, treat every spring that you open as if it's your first. So I.e., yeah. don't sit on your laurels and just expect people will come. Um, probably the two best bits of advice we had in the early yeah. days, and um, yeah, and and it's obviously progressed amazingly well. You know, hard going to begin with, but then just gradually making loads of great progress. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 moved at a pace I think that we can that we can uh, just about cope with. <laughs> um, and obviously, you know, the the girls being around that adds a whole dimension. You know, and as I said, you know, we we are a small setup here. It was about um, um, it was about three and a half members of staff. Um, I'm feeling eight. sorry for the half member. I know, I know. All <laughs> <laughs> so we can afford. <laughs> um, uh, but it's 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 not easy because um, if you because we we made the conscious decision right at the start to be, I suppose you could argue quite purist about it. We would we only wanted to do the plants, and so many people said in the early days. You know, you're not going to survive without a shop. You're not going to survive without a cat. No, no, yeah. um, and we thought, well, surely it must be possible. It must be possible because everyone, you know, we, sadly, there's not that many nurseries around here anymore. I mean, if, even the, the short time we've been here, they some have come and gone. But those who have gone down the route of, you know, um, doing that, putting in a shop, putting in a cafe, you, you, they fundamentally change and you end up being chained to the cafe or the retail, you know, uh, and the plants invariably, you know, don't become the thing anymore. So um, I think that, you know, that, again, it's taken time. We've had to sort of weather that in a way. Um, But I think it's coming, it's coming round to the point where people, you know, like there's two, two really nice compliments you get when people come here, which is, and I think the the one that really makes us feel good is when people say it's like walking around someone's garden, which is great. And the second thing is they say, please don't change it. <laughs> stick, you know, stick to what you're doing, kind of thing. So well, I think the other thing is that people have customers in particular. They have enormous respect for people that actually are nurserymen that grow. 
Yeah. Because there's so many um, places today, they don't grow their own things. I mean, they, they just grab a bit from Holland and a bit from here and a bit from there and yeah. all the rest of it. And in come the Dutch trolleys and that's it, you know. But when you actually grow the stuff yourself, I think people do appreciate that. I think so. Yeah. 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 Um, and quite often, I mean, over this weekend, we've had, you know, which is great, lots of new people. Um, and quite a few of them will ask, how much do you grow? Which is a perfectly legitimate question. And I say, well, it's well over 95% of what you see. And they're like, really? Yeah. You know, so yeah. Yeah, a lot of places, it's often the other way around. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and um, and people, yeah, as I say, people people are clocking that now. And I think a yeah. bit more, I think, I think uh, are more aware of this. Um, and it's quite interesting that 10 years we've been here, when we first started, at the time, you know, there was a lot of talk about encouraging wild, and still is, rightly so, about, you know, um, wildlife in the garden, wildlife-friendly mm. plants, and a lot of the questions were about that. Slightly less, uh, less questions on that subject, and it's shifted probably a bit more towards, you know, are you peat-free, which is good, which we are. But then it's kind of shifted even more so into the fact that these are produced on site, the plants you see. Uh, so it's really interesting to see how people gauge what you do. Or... I suppose the other thing is that they can actually see. Yeah. If they're looking around your nursery and garden, they can actually see the plants growing for themselves. Yeah. They know when they pick up this pot, this two litre pot or whatever it is. Yeah. yeah. Something that is what it will be. Yeah. Um, you mentioned lots of plants that you grow. Yeah. We, of course, the heart and soul of Talking Dirty is to <laughs> clap eyes on some of those plants and get excited about them. But what have you brought along to start off some show and tell, Tom? Oh, well, I mean, something I've, I'm, um, I'm very fond of is uh, I'm, I'm doing the classic thing. I'm talking about plants we don't really sell. I, I do this all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm such a crap businessman. I mean, <laughs> um, a few years ago, I got to go to Ireland and... Um, uh, and, <laughs> and I got to visit some gardens and um, uh, I went to, I was very lucky to see around Kilmacurra Gardens there and the head gardener there, Seamus O'Brien, and we were talking about various plants and he introduced me to um, Cordyline Indivisa, which is stunning, absolutely stunning thing. And he gave me some seed and he said, take this away, you know, and, and give this a shot. And so this was... Uh, five years ago and uh, and so i'm i'm just delighted i've managed not to kill it yet um <laughs> but it's 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 the sort of plant you really need to see as a 20 25 year old specimen it's it's extraordinary people are very familiar with cordyline australis that you know you know much much tougher this cordyline indivisor has this incredible hard to make out really um orange banding to the leaves um and my friend, Glyn, who's uh, another gardener, he said, they're great, you'll grow about 12 and one will survive. So far, out of 10, <laughs> five have died. I've still got the remaining five here, though. Um, I'm just... Oh, can I just say something, Nick? I did that, this with the five years. You did this with Cordyline Indivisor. I have just planted that plant in my really? garden. And out of the 10 that I was given, one has survived. <laughs> <laughs> This is weird. <laughs> uh, it, it, yeah, and it look it looks really healthy at the moment. I planted it in shade, which I hope is, is where it's yeah, going to survive. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm just not uh, I'm not quite brave enough yet to plant um, the thing out yet. I'm going to have to at some point though because they, they yeah. 
quite big. I mean, this is, you know, it's fairly sizable. Um, yeah. But uh, I'm just, uh, I mean, when you see at Kilmacurra, the garden there, it's, it's, it's an amazing microclimate and they don't really get frost. And the only place where I'm, I think I get away with growing this particular one is in the corner of our other site that we've got in Grange over Sands, which is quite close to the sea. Yeah, and it does get frost there, but there's a couple of corners of the site which is which is much much smaller than we have here, um, where I think it would be far happier than here, because we're in a bit of a frost pocket here. And um, but yeah, it won't like. <laughs> it really won't like. So. <laughs> Um, I think I think uh, it's 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 been extremely happy in the greenhouse over the winter time, but it's 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 quite cool in there. It doesn't get you know it's it's a sort of a semi-glazed greenhouse, so it doesn't get too too stuffy. Um, but uh, I'm just thrilled that they've worked. <laughs> and and also I know that you know it's great when they get to be more mature, but it is lovely to be able to grow them from seed, and hopefully yeah. more than one will survive, and you'll yeah, have them for yeah. twenty odd years, and you'll be able to look at them and know that you grew it right from the very start. Yeah, and 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 I think it takes you back, you know, to I mean the the whole reason I think so many of us get hooked in gardening in the first place is just it's I I'll, I'll never cease from the joy of getting that seedling and watching it develop into this incredible structure that when it initially appears it just looks like a blade of grass and then but then develops this, you know, this extraordinary structure. So, um, yeah, watch this space on, on this particular plant. It's, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, it's a good, strong start. I think um, you're also, as, as Alan pointed out, not alone. I'm fairly certain Jimmy Blake has talked about having a lot of trouble with keeping Indivisor alive. So clearly this is uh, just a plant yeah. that likes to test us all. And, and we all want it all the more because of it. Yeah. It's funny you should mention him because <laughs> it's a, this is... Um, this is another plant, which is probably about, looks extraordinarily boring um, on the screen. Um, but this is a, uh, a viburnum that I actually saw in his garden on part of the same trip. Um, and it's viburnum um, betulifolium. Um, and uh, <laughs> you've not just planted it, have you, Alan? <laughs> I have, actually, because, <laughs> because the said Jimmy, when he was on that podcast with us, he said you need to plant them in groups to get masses of these wonderful, wonderful, big, shiny red berries. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I had a single one, and I thought, this is no good. Come on, we've got to get some more. <laughs> you need more. Yeah. Okay, I'll, send you, I'll send you some. I'll send you some. <laughs> um, but, again, this is just another one of those uh, instances where, you know, the, the, those initial seedlings, which don't look much, take a, they do take a while. You know, most shrubs, a lot of shrubs do take it. It's a slow burn with them. Yeah. Um, but it's finally this year, it's starting to look actually like a, a reasonable plant. I think that's, you just touched on something there I'd like to mention, and that is the fact that when you have a, a real nurseryman like yourself and you're growing plants from seed, I mean, that, I don't know how that is, how old that is, probably four, maybe five years? Five years, yeah. yeah. Five years, yeah. Well, that is a long time to nurture a plant, yeah. to charge very little for. So oh, you, absolutely, yeah. You see what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I think, th yeah, again, I think that's... Um, Quite often when, I mean, not so much, because we, we grow, I mean, our, our bread and butter is the herbaceous perennials. That's what we grow here. Um, and so, like, the production cycle for a herbaceous perennial is, you know, typically about two years from mm. seed to, to a plant that you can sell. If, if someone is contemplating buying something else that's much, you know, and they see the price on it and there's a, a deep intake of breath, yeah. you can say, well, you're looking at 
cuts you know some instances six seven years worth of growing there exactly yeah um so uh, but I'm, I, I can't wait to see that produce fruits one day because um and it was one of the best things was uh, it looked like i did it with my my uh, our, our eldest daughter who at the time was four um it looked like some of a horror show because of the, the the fruit is so red <laughs> you have to smash it all up to get the seeds out um but I'm, I'm really excited about seeing that that grow and yeah. I'll, I'll send you some on thank you <laughs> well, you can come again tom <laughs> <laughs> So I'm talking about a plant I don't sell and I'm sending stock away at no cost. <laughs> the year we went bust. <laughs> hey, Fordis here. Just to say thank you so much for listening to Talking Dirty. You are now officially our favourite person. If you really liked it, please do subscribe because we'll be back for more plant-loving mayhem next week. And as you're our new favourite person, we don't want you to miss out. If you've got a question for Alan and the experts, you can email it to hello at getgardeningnow.co.uk. So happy gardening, and we'll see you, oh favourite person, next time. <laughs>